Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have sent forth your Son into this world, born of a woman under law, to be able to redeem us uh, from the curse and the effects of the law. And we pray that you would sanctify us as you have prayed in the highly priestly prayer in John 17, that you would sanctify us in the truth. Lord, for your word is in fact truth. Wash us and cleanse us as the great husband purifies and presents his bride spotless before you, O Father. Do this that very day that we might be pure in your sight through Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 12, verse 29 to 36. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh and those who, and who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night. And he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said to go up, go out from among my people. Both you and the people of Israel and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, and their kneading bowls been bound up, and their cloaks on their shoulders. And the people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given to the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Under the canopy of the Egyptian sky that night, the moon bathed the land in its lunar glow, and the hushed homes of the Israelites. There was tension as they had spread the blood upon the door, celebrated the Passover, which they would soon understand. The lamb was slaughtered, the blood was shed, the blood spread upon the door lintels, and the door was shut as they ate the remainder of the lamb and all of its flesh. As they had done, as Moses had instructed them through these divine instructions, they were now waiting, waiting for what is to come. The night the Lord would strike the Egyptians' firstborn children. As the Israelites were obedient to this sacred ritual, marked their doorpost with the blood of this unblemished lamb, and yet... Their small, humble homes, as they 
awaited what was about to happen. The palace of Pharaoh had no blood upon its lintels. But in the air lingered Pharaoh's defiance, his hard heart impervious to the pleas that Moses had cried out and even his own people had warned and said to him. But as this darkness blanketed the land, this impending calamity was upon them. The angel of death was about to sweep through the land. The land of Goshen and the land of Egypt In the homes of the Israelites, they were safe in the refuge of their house. With a sign upon the door for the angel of death to know to pass over. For them it was a shield, a refuge, a place of safety. But in the chambers of the Egyptians, there was no safety in their own house. This mournful wail which pierced the silence that very night. The cry of a defeated kingdom. In the cold light of the dawn, the streets of Egypt echoed with grief. Pharaoh, once haughty, now faced a devastating reality. His firstborn son, the symbol of pride his successor, the heir to all of his kingdom and inheritance, lay lifeless. The nation from palace to even the most humble place in the prison cell mourned this irrevocable loss. Pharaoh, as he summons Moses and Aaron, humbled and broken, conceited, rise, go out from among my people, go and serve the Lord as you have said. And the Israelites, wrapped in the first light of freedom, emerged from their homes. The night that commenced with terror concluded with whispers of liberation. A night when the Lord, just and merciful, fulfilled his promise to deliver his people from the grip of slavery. In that night of mourning, became a morning of joy. For God's people. The night of darkness became a day of light. Some it was freedom. The other it was defeat. And today we look at this final judgment that God renders to the people of Egypt. That day, that night of judgment brings freedom to others. That night of darkness is a light to those who are God's people. So this week we're looking at the first side of that, the the night of judgment. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the night of liberation. Throughout our study of these signs and wonders, we've seen through the hand of Moses that we've noted that this comes as God's judgment upon Pharaoh, upon Pharaoh's land, upon Pharaoh's people, upon Pharaoh's gods. 
that Pharaoh and his people have, have beaten, struck those who are made in his image, God's image, but also those who God has set apart and called as his people. The Lord had told Abram, right in Genesis chapter 15, that know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. And here God is fulfilling what he had told 400 years before about Abram. The four, the first nine signs of, and wonders were to show God's power and his might. But even that, those might see his glory and his wonder and they would know who the Lord is. Pharaoh said at the very beginning, who is the Lord that I should listen and obey him? But yet throughout these signs and wonders, Pharaoh continues to harden his heart, just as God had said he would do. But the night is finally here. The final blow of judgment will come, just as God has been telling them. Now as we've looked through the signs and wonders, we've seen these acts of judgment and and spoken of them, but... It is worth our time to be able to see it again because that is exactly what this is. So we're going to look at this judgment in this passage. The first thing that we see is judgment is pronounced and instantaneous. Judgment is pronounced and instantaneous. As we come to this portion in the story of Exodus in chapter 12, we should not be surprised by the events Many stories that we watch or uh, stories that you read or movies that you watch all hinge on a plot twist, a change, a development that is revealed later on. The character whom you are rooting for is not the character you began to know. The good person becomes the bad person. The bad person becomes the good person. However, that's not the case in the pages of Scripture. The Bible is actually filled with many spoiler alerts. You read in very few passages and you get to understand the whole story. What is going to happen? Now, more details are filled in as you go through, but the Bible is filled with spoiler alerts. And Exodus 12 is no different. We have known from the very beginning that God was going to do this. He was going to execute judgment on those whom had oppressed God's people. Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 15 We know that when the Lord told Jacob to be able to go to Egypt, he says that he was going to bring them back out of Egypt. That has not happened yet. In chapter 3, we're specifically told that in verse 20, so I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do. And after that, he will let you go. And this has not happened yet. He has done these signs and wonders, but the final strike, the final blow has not come. In chapter 4, we're told that Moses will do miracles and Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. He was to go and tell Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, 
Behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Chapter 6, Moses says that with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment, God will redeem his people. Chapter 7 explains that God telling Moses that Pharaoh will not listen to him. And then God will lay his hand on Egypt. And we all see these signs and wonders as warnings as every time the Lord generally says, tomorrow it will pass. In chapter 11, we're told in specific details, as Moses had warned Pharaoh, what was going to happen. The firstborn son was going to die. And time and time again, we're told what God is going to do as he stretches out his hand to be able to redeem and save his people with power and might to be able to strike those who have struck his people. Although this judgment is pronounced over and over again, the people do not listen. Pharaoh doesn't listen, but he hardens his heart to this coming judgment. As the people in the land of Egypt went to bed that night, some might have been talking about the movement in the land of Goshen, the the sound that they'd heard over nights before of these bleating sheep echoing through the streets of Goshen. And then that night, where the bleating sheep were silenced, as the Israelites were slaughtering the lambs and then spreading the blood upon the door. And I'm sure people in Pharaoh's palace had overheard the words that Moses had spoken to Pharaoh, and yet they did not heed his warning or listen to his instruction. And I'm sure many went to bed that night thinking that this doesn't matter. Many went to bed that night thinking that this is not going to happen to them. Or at least they will have more time. Many went to bed that night thinking, how can spreading blood on doorposts and lintels save us? Many went to bed that night thinking and, and, and praying to their gods and saying that they would protect them. And I'm sure many went to bed that night thinking about doing something, but never doing anything. Then in the silence of the night, in the light of the full moon, the Lord carried out his judgment just as he had said. The Lord struck the people of Egypt. Now, we should not be surprised at this. The judgment is proclaimed, and yet no one listens. Noah, while building his ark, proclaimed and warned those around him, as we learn about in Second Peter chapter 2. But yet, how many people went upon that ark? Eight. Judgment is coming, a flood is coming. Yet eight people heeded the words of Noah. Hebrews 11 
explains of Noah as he acts by faith. He says that Noah had been warned by God about things not yet seen, this judgment that is coming. In reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. Faith. Not yet seen. Judgment was coming and yet Noah listened and heeded the call. And yet Moses preached. But only those who listened, who prepared the lamb, put blood on the lintel, were safe in their own house as they shut the door. The Pharisees asked Jesus in Luke chapter 17, when is the coming of the kingdom of God? And Jesus' response is that his kingdom is already in their midst. And he explains that Jesus, the Christ, must suffer and die. And then will be that day. His warning that many people will be like in that day of Noah, in the day of Lot, when judgment is coming in full force. But what are they doing? They're eating and drinking. They're buying and selling, planting and building. And so it will be on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. And many Egyptians that day went tonight just thinking it was like any other night. And the Lord warned them during the time of Moses. And then that night came. The judgment was rendered. And the Lord has warned us that he is coming again like a thief in the night. Nobody knows what time a thief will come. You do not get a phone call from them or a text message saying that they're coming and like a delivery. We're ten stops away. Or a service call, even a service call that says between sunrise and sunset we're coming. At least you know the period of time. But a thief comes when you are not ready. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica that the people will be speaking of peace and security. But then what comes? Destruction. Peter says that in the last day, many scoffers will come following their own sinful desires, saying, where is the promise of his coming? But then he goes on to say, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but patient towards you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Jesus has said that he is coming again. He has warned us, he has pronounced it, and it can come at an instant. Like a thief. But this period of time is that we might reach that point of repentance. That we might turn to him. And the day of mourning, the night of mourning becomes a morning 
of rejoicing. And many people live in this life never thinking that this day will come. Or this day will come a day later than it will. This judgment will come tomorrow. Many people live their life eating and drinking, planting, sowing, reaping, building, buying and selling. Like the rich man who built his silo and never got to fill it. Yet do we live knowing this day is coming? Do we live like those who are waiting for the bridegroom with our lanterns filled with oil? Do we live waiting in anticipation, eagerly, safely in the security of the house which blood has been spilled and upon the doors? Do we walk as children of the light or as children of the night? Not only we see this judgment pronounced and comes in an instant, but also that this judgment is non-discriminatory. This judgment does not discriminate. In our justice system, it seeks and is designed to be fair. Lady Justice stands balancing the act against the consequences to ensure that they're fair and balanced. She carries the sword to be able to punish the wrongdoer. She's blindfolded that she responds in a just way without any form of bias or favoritism. However true this seeks to be able to do, it doesn't always work out this way. Sometimes the bigger your wallet, the more likely you are to get a lesser sentence or a quicker release. The wicked can prosper. Although in the Western world, particularly in America, we do not see great overt miscarriages of injustice like you do in other countries. Briberies, nepotism. Yet it is not perfect. Men and women can can pay the price for a crime that they did not commit. Where people can walk away without paying anything due to loopholes, lawyers, or lies. Yet what we see in this passage is this judgment comes to all people. There are no favorites. The only distinction that is made is between the household with the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and those who do not have the blood of the Lamb. From Pharaoh's palace to the prison cell. Pharaoh who sat there, who was considered some form of demigod, to the lowliest of prisoners, in which was the lowest form. Previously it mentioned the slave girl who was at the mill. But yet here it even goes lower than that. And they all face this judgment which is pronounced to them. 
and so too on the last day. Judgment will not have a line for those who have friends in high places, money in their bank account. The world will be divided, but not by class, popularity, party affiliations, race, nation, status, wealth, cultural background, sporting teams, college degrees, or any other factor that the world seeks to be able to divide people today. The world will be divided into two. The sheep and the goats. Those who heard the word and took their refuge. Those who have the blood of the spotless lamb upon their doorposts. John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 12, these two sides. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. The distinction is based on the Son. Those who do not have the Son have death. They face this judgment. The third and final thing that we see in this passage is this judgment is somber and serious. We learn from this judgment that this is one filled with sorrow that was faced that very night. This is not merely some poetic form of literature that seeks to be able to place imagery in there, symbolic judgment. But as the Egyptians woke up that night, as they held their deceased loved ones and this cry that echoed through the whole nation of their loss, just as the Israelites had cried out to their God to be able to save them from these oppressors, now the Egyptians are crying out into the abyss of the night. The death came to every house that night that did not have the blood spread upon the doorposts and their lintels. And this cry is filled with sorrow and regret. If only I had listened, if only I had believed, if only I had acted sooner. They often would have thought that this might not have ever happened to me. One aspect that shows this, one comment points out that in the Midrash, in Jewish literature, Pharaoh is depicted urgently traveling through the Hebrew section of Egypt in the land of Goshen, crying out, where does Moses live? Where is Moses? Upon locating him, Pharaoh employs, get up and get out of Egypt. A plea almost bordering on this desperation, urging the people to depart from the land that had held them captive for this extended period of time. This vivid scene served as the inspiration of a well-known children's song titled Pharaoh in Pajamas in the Middle of the Night. What makes Pharaoh come to this point? It's the death of his son. 
he was willing to see Egypt ruined. But yet this shows the somber reality of that night. And judgment is a reality that every single person will face in this world. There is no way to get out of it. There is no way to avoid it. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter, uh, there's a story of, of two men. Lazarus, who's a man who suffered a lot in this life, begging and even covered with sores that the dog, dogs would lick. This other man was quite the opposite. He was rich, wearing the finest of clothes, getting the greatest of foods. But yet, yet they both die. They face this judgment, and the rich man is sent into hell where he is tormented. And then the roles reverse. Lazarus is now eating, clothed in fine linens. But he sees Lazarus. This rich man sees Lazarus. And he becomes the beggar. And he cries out and says to Father Abraham, Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. And the focus is that there's no relief for this rich man. That there's no way for him to find relief because there's a fixed chasm between them. And the rich man thinks of his family on earth and he asks if, if Lazarus was to go back and to return and, and to tell them about this judgment that is coming. But Abraham ends. The somber reality that if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That for this rich man, there's no going back. There's no way to undo. No way for him to be able to save those whom he loves. And yet that night, there was a choice the day before for these people to make. A choice they had to live with. Now this might seem like a sobering message. Especially during this time of year where we yearn for hope, joy, peace. But consider this. Our Christmas story. So too. Seeks to be able to understand this great truth. Why did Jesus come? He came to be able to save. He came to be able to die. As John sees him, behold, the Lamb of God to be able to take away the sins of the world. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Jesus Christ is our Passover Lamb. And Charles Dickens, a Christmas carol, Scrooge's face that night as he, as he meets the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And Scrooge implores and begs him and, and, and asks the question, is this what is going to be or is this what might be? 
Is this set in stone? Is this future sealed? But he was given a chance to be able to change. A chance to be able to embrace that distant future. There is a way of escape. This judgment. Because this judgment has been taken for and paid for in full. That night, there's two people that go to sleep that night. And for those who have the blood of the Lamb upon their doorposts, they are safe and secure. That judgment is not coming for them. They are passed over because it has been paid for by another. That this night of judgment is a night of liberty. The blood of the Lamb on our doorposts, as we put our faith and our trust in Christ, the one in which the shadow prefigures, ensures that our future is not one of sorrow and regret, but everlasting joy. We do not wait in fear of this day to come, we wait eagerly as a bridegroom awaits, as these virgins await their bridegroom that our heart can be transformed. Celebrating the freedom that comes through Christ, secured by the Lamb of God. Let me finish with this. We often think of Christ coming to this world as an infant in a manger. But often we don't go past that. He came to be able to live for us. He came to be able to die for us. Paul writes to Timothy, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as for the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That Paul moves from the the manger to the cross, that Paul moves from the manger to the cross to Christ seated in all of his glory. But also, for us who who truly believe, should we not tell this and warn those others of what is to come? To tell them of this judgment that will come in an instant that shows no favoritism based on the house that they were raised this judgment that is somber and serious, shall we not tell them? So that night that comes is not a night of a crying out in sorrow, but a morning filled with praise. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and most merciful Father, We give you thanks and praise that you indeed did come into this world. 
that if it was not for you, all of us deserve this wrath and condemnation. For we are all sinners, and the wages of sin is death. But Lord, let us ponder this reality of what is to come for those who do not put their faith and their trust in you. Help us to be bold proclaimers of this joyous message of Christ and the redemption for those who are safely in the refuge of the house whom the blood has been shed. Seek and help us to be able to seek this very message to move from the manger to the cross to where you are seated now and praying for your saints on our behalf. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.